0: Welcome to InBita, where we ask the big questions about digital policy and human rights. My name is Charles Bradley and I'm the Executive Director here at Global Partners Digital. We wanted to revive this podcast as a way of keeping track of developments in the rapidly changing moment and how the COVID-19 pandemic and government responses to deal with it have important implications for the digital environment and our rights online. We use the podcast to examine things as they come in on a week-by-week basis, trying to make sense of them. Each episode is short, and we're trying to get as many voices and perspectives involved as possible. And we also use this time to shout out to work being done by the amazing organisations in our field. This week, I'm excited to welcome Prasanth Sugathan from the Software Free Law Centre in India. Great, Prasantham. Thanks so much for joining us on the show.
1: Thanks, Charles, for having me on the show.
0: Thank you. Great. So um, for our listeners, please, would you mind introducing yourself and your organisation?
1: I'm Prashant Sukaten. I'm the volunteer legal director at Software Freedom Law Centre, India, shortened as SFLC.in. SFLC.in is a donor-supported legal services organisation that brings together lawyers, technologists, academics and students to defend the rights of citizens in the digital space. Among other things, we maintain the website internet shutdowns.in which tracks the instances of internet shutdowns in india
0: absolutely yeah and we've been uh, fascinated by the work and the, the amazing work that um SF, sflc.in have been doing and we're, we're glad to have you um on the show um and with your sort of um with your sort of work and your perspective we really wanted to have a think about and a look at the situation in india um, what, what are you seeing sort of going on in terms of responses uh, to dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic? Like any other country, India is of
1: course facing an unprecedented crisis with the number of COVID-19 infections going up on a daily basis. What is of concern here is that the steps that the state, uh, the union government and the central government are, are taking, which could be often at the risk of violating the rights of citizens. Let us look at two issues primarily. The first one is with respect to what is happening in the state of Jammu and Kashmir. There, the speed of internet connection has been restricted to 2G speeds. Internet was earlier shut down in Jammu and Kashmir for a long period of 213 days. After that, even when the internet was restored, the speed was restricted, and 4G is not available in the 4G networks, 3G networks are not available in the state. But that is of a great concern because With 2G networks, there's not much that you can do. For example, if people are working from home, it's not possible over a 2G network. Same with telemedicine, same with things like, uh, uh, let's say, services for students. So all that is a problem as far as the State of Jammu and Kashmir is concerned. The second aspect is the issue of surveillance, which is happening. Both the central and state governments have come up with a number of apps that are collecting a large amount of data. Some apps collect location data, some collect health data. there's a lot of sensitive data which is being collected. And we have analyzed a few of these apps and this often do not even have privacy policies which mention what happens to your data, how long the data will be kept. So that definitely is a, I mean, is an uh, area of great concern.
0: Absolutely. Um, and on those, are those um, uh, government-run um, applications or or privately run um, applications with with relationship to the to the government?
1: If you look at, uh, we had done analysis of most of these apps. What we find is that some have been developed by the let's say various private entities, but these have been distributed by the government. So it comes uh, with the official app. It is like an official app being distributed by the government. Both by the central government and by various state governments. And these collectings like location data, the health data. Uh, then that even some apps even ask for selfies to be sent on a periodic individual interval like that's a one-hour basis to ensure that people are following the quarantine and they are not moving outside their homes or where they're quarantined. So yes, these are of great concerns.
0: Absolutely. And uh, and and you know, obviously there's sort of the relationship between that and sort of the, the privacy as well but some of the issues earlier you were mentioning around the um the reduction in the in the uh bandwidth and and, and the service of 2g um obviously has other concerns yeah. as well you were saying about sort of um uh Working from home and, and and health issues. Um, are we are we seeing um certain uh concerns being raised by other civil society around the sort of educational impact or the or the um economic development impact of of that um, throttling of that speed? Yes, uh,
1: definitely. When I mean, uh, this has been happening over a period of time, in fact, we at SFLC. Had written to the government pointing out this issue. The various other organizations have also written to the government. What we've seen, is we, you can't even think of a scenario. Most of us have been, uh, even in this lockdown situations in various countries, if we have been able to survive, it's because we have access to the internet. We can work with others in a team, even though we are spread across, let's say, various towns, various locations. But think of a situation where you can't even get access to the internet. We had tried talking to various uh, people in the Kashmir Valley, about how they're able to access and with speeds like 2g speeds it's you can't have let's say meaningful internet access most of the websites won't even load so none of the uh, normal things that you would do on internet is it won't uh, be possible at all
0: yeah with uh, 2g uh, so uh, it uh, has a
1: great impact uh both on education then on the health sector where uh Doctors are not able to access COVID resources like the doctors in the rest of the country. Same with uh, individual citizens, where they can't get access to advisories. Even definitely, it is uh, uh, a cause of great concern.
0: Absolutely, and 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 um, one thing you said was that you'd um, you'd written to the government, and we and we we saw that uh, sort of joint letter, which is a great great initiative um, uh, spearheaded by 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 you and others. Um, I wondered what you um, whether you could talk us through what the sort of the main concerns were that you raised in that, and, and whether there's been any response uh, from the government on from that letter.
1: Okay. So the main concerns were that the various state governments and the central government they were coming up with a lot of applications, mobile apps, collecting a huge amount of data, and when we analyze these apps, both the mobile apps as well as various uh, web applications. Many didn't even have proper privacy policies. There was no assurances from the government as to how long data will be kept. What is the security of this data? What are the practices being followed? To whom all will the data be shared with? Will this be restricted to, let's say, the health department of the government, or will it go to other departments or even private entities? So these aspects were not very clear at all. Then one major concern was with respect to time how long are you going to share this data? Sorry, how long are you going to retain this data? Then, with respect to the questions of necessity and proportionality, is this data, uh, what is being collected, is this required? What are the steps being taken? Then the question of transparency. So those are various concerns which were raised by civil society organizations. Then, other, of course, with respect to use restrictions, will you be using this only for COVID health related I mean, uh, issue alone? Or will really we be using it for other purposes also? What about the security? So, these were concerns raised by us and other various civil society organizations. And that's when we came up with this joint letter. We uh, we communicated these concerns across the government. We have still not heard back from either the central government or from the state government. And that's an unfortunate aspect.
0: Uh, absolutely yeah and it'd be great for, um great to get a response and see some of those you know really important questions that you've you've um asked um obviously this comes uh um th- these initiatives come after quite a quite a long debate in india around um sort of uh, digital identification and, and the use of um uh data um for that um which is the sort of the adhar um system i wonder whether you could for our users um for our listeners uh, explain a little bit more about what Aadhaar is and whether this um, whether these apps are sort of docking into that system um, or they're sort of seen as completely separate to uh, to the Aadhaar system.
1: Yeah, Aadhaar is the uh, citizen identification number which the government came up with, which is linked to many welfare schemes, as such. So initially, when the uh, entire Aadhaar system, the unique identity system, was introduced, the what was communicated by the government was that it is a voluntary mechanism. The citizens can opt to either go for Aadhaar or it was a voluntary for them. They can either choose to adopt Aadhaar and role for Aadhaar or not do it. But slowly it metamorphed into a system which was mandatory. For getting any service, even to make your tax returns online, you needed Aadhaar. So the, what began as a voluntary system began a mandatory system. We are seeing the same happening with some of the COVID 19 apps here. There is this new app which the central government has come up with called Arag Yasir. This is being now promoted by the government, various government departments. You get uh, short messages, SMSs from even your banks asking you to download the app, uh, enroll in the uh, scheme as such, enroll in the uh, app as such. This is being now pushed forward as a voluntary app. But now what is happening is that along with this app, there are other services. This is essentially a contact tracing app which uh, tracks your location and which needs access to your Bluetooth. But what is happening is along with this, with this contact tracing mechanism, they're also adding other features like e-passes. E-passes are required if you want to travel once the lockdown is over. If you want to travel from one part of the country to other, even during the lockdown period, you will need passes given by the government. And that facility is also added to this application. So what is being pushed as a voluntary app? This becomes a mandatory app. Because unless you have e-passes, you cannot travel. That definitely is a concern. This is going again going the other way, from voluntary to mandatory.
0: Absolutely, and 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 definitely when sort of like freedom of movement um, and and assembly becomes a, a, a key right there when um, when the you know the the prevention of movement is is is, is uh, uh, sort of mandated through the use of these apps. It's a a very interesting um, trend and something that we need to sort of continue to follow and see how that sort of gets uh, implemented going forward. Um, so thank you for talking through that with us. Um, You've said that civil society have, you know, coordinated this, this great response um, and, and put these questions on the agenda of the, of the government. I wondered whether you um, thought that there were other ways in which other human rights defenders could get involved and, and support these efforts.
1: Yes, these are definitely testing times. We all need to work together. What we are seeing in India is not an isolated case. Issues of surveillance and the concerns that the measures taken now will become the new normal. That is not restricted to India alone. These concerns have been expressed by human rights activists across the globe. We all need to work together to ensure that the post-COVID world is not a place where pervasive surveillance is the new normal.
0: Absolutely. And, um, and we'll definitely be thinking about that and the, the different sort of um, approaches that others have taken on, on other podcasts and, as well. Um, Prasanth, thanks so much for, for taking the time to, to join us and to, to talk through these details. It's been um, super helpful. So thank you for that.
1: Thank you, Charles, for hosting the discussion. Thank you.
0: Thank you. A big thanks to Prasanth. Contact tracing technologies are an emerging area of concern for human rights defenders during the pandemic, so this week I wanted to highlight two new resources which can help us better understand them. The first is the Technology Review's new global database of COVID-related contact tracing apps. There are currently 25 apps on it, with each one marked and evaluated against a set of key questions. Is it voluntary? Is data collection minimised? Is it transparent? Etc. This should be an invaluable tool for human rights defenders in the coming months and we're really excited to see how it develops over time. Turning more to the design side of the contact tracing apps, our friends at Access Now have published a list of do's and don'ts for building privacy-friendly contact tracing apps, setting out a clear, concrete framework that governments and other entities can follow. Do take a look at both resources if you have time. We've dropped the links alongside the podcast on SoundCloud and the GBD website. That's all we've got time for for this week. We hope you join us next week. Until next time, goodbye.